Hello and welcome to the Rocket Buzz. Yes, welcome to the Rocket Buzz. My name is Matthew Jordan and I'll be your host this evening. With me here tonight are Matt Cutshaw. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us tonight. We got Stephen Kegel. Hello. Got Kyle Montgomery. Let's go. We got producer Derek Wise. Hello, hello. And we got good old Zach Shaw over there. Hey, everybody. How are we all doing this evening? Doing great. Good. Excellent. Well, let's get into this week's news. On Monday, we had a booster return from TurkSat 5A. Is that correct? Okay. I thought it was six. Whatever. 6A. Why is it written as 5A, you guys? Anyhow, it uh, returned on Monday night, and we do have some photos of that. I don't know if those are up. Kyle was out there as the booster came back into port. You want to talk about the booster return and its significance, Kyle? Unprecedented for a vertical booster to return during the night. This is the first time ever. It was very uncertain for a while because originally it was set to come in right after sunset, which was, seemed a lot more plausible than the fact that it was going to come in hours later at night. The last time a booster had returned at night actually was Arabsat 6A and was the Falcon Heavy center core that had fallen over in the ocean. So it was only actually half a booster that returned. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I, coming back, being able to come back in the night will be an important step as SpaceX plans to improve the speed of reusability, not having to wait an extra 12 hours to start working on a booster to be able to just get in. That'll be extremely helpful. uh, Absolutely. To speed up the pace between launches. Absolutely. And, and, and that is one thing that SpaceX has really uh, prided themselves on is lowering that, that, that time required in between launches. Um, The ultimate goal uh, specifically for Starship, and it was a goal for the, the Falcon nine at one point was that they wanted it to land back on the launch stand where it came from in the correct orientation so that all they had to do was refuel and go again. Now that's very complicated from a, a, an engineering standpoint and from just getting it precisely on the launch stand actually like rotated the right way. So it, it may or may not happen, but that reusability and getting those rockets back on the pads quickly with another payload is definitely going to be something that we're going to see more of, especially with SpaceX trying to reach in, into the forties, fifties and sixties for a number of launches in a year from Cape Canaveral. We're definitely going to be seeing a lot more uh, quick pace things and, and rockets coming in at night, rockets coming in every all, all times a day. It's, it's going to be uh, uh, a lot for you port rats uh, over there to, uh, really and i think i think personally that this is actually was a test for them because we saw uh not too long ago that they actually have lights on the cap itself so those lights help them to steer it onto you know uh, attaching to the top of the booster so that they can take it off the drone ship and then start processing that like like we like we just discussed if we don't have to if they don't have to wait those hours to get a process, they can get it, get it processed and get ready for the next launch. I mean, this launch we have coming up tomorrow for the Starlink launch, this is the eighth time. You know, this this booster will be flying for the eighth time. And it just had a very quick turnaround because that last launch was the serious launch that just happened in December. 
So this is actually not only the first time that they're launching for the eighth time, this is actually the first time this is the quickest turnaround for them. So SpaceX continues to break records, and it's absolutely amazing. Absolutely, and they're going to continue to do so because they, oh, yeah. they do have that singular focus of dropping the cost of spaceflight and everything, every minute you can shed or, or to, to take off of how long it takes to do that process. Every minute, every second does count when it comes to lowering the cost. On the subject of cost, there is an increased cost of coming in at night. They're charged more by the port in general yes. for that. They'll, so they'll, it does add cost in some way too. Yes, it does, and and that that cost difference for SpaceX is not going to be super expensive. I wouldn't think because I know, like from my time on the submarine, the difference between coming in a day and at night was like fifteen thousand versus twenty five thousand dollars to pay for for the 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 captain of the ship and yeah. and it's their services. Thousands, it's thousands, not millions. Yeah, it's thousands, not millions. So it really is uh, compared to the cost of the rocket and what they're making on it. That's chump change. They're they're going to be willing to, to toss that away if that means that they're going to get those rockets yeah. back up in but space faster if mm -hmm. they don't have to like i could only see them i only see them doing this when they're rushing in some way like if they have a, a few launches going quickly it's a concession i can see them doing night returns but like say they don't have a launch for another week after it comes back they're probably going to take their time bring it in during the day save a little bit yeah there's also I, the the crew to consider the crew that it's uh, gonna be didn't care of that so on we'll that subject that. there's another difficulty of coming in at night it's a lot less safe for the crew it's more dangerous by far yeah working True. at night uh, working at night in the port's always going to be more dangerous but i mean yeah like we don't know when they did the crew transfer th for this because um go quest came in a while before um it came in during the day so the chance they did that crew transfer all the way back then like six or so hours before it actually came in and they did it during the day like that because we can't really tell because or they could was... have done it from a tug and we just couldn't tell because it was tracking it's it's hard to tell without directly looking and the main delay for it coming in was uh i believe the cruise ships coming in and out of port and so they mm -hmm. had to make yeah. way for them and so it wasn't a direct huge delay like they still ended up coming a while after a cruise ship already cleared but like yeah it is it creates issues cruise ships do yeah it does it does but I mean that—that's what you're going to have coming in and out of a major port like that, and, and Port Canaveral is the, probably one of the busiest ports in all of Florida. I think so. it's the second busiest in the world, maybe. Yeah, it's like the second busiest in the world. It's definitely by far going to be the busiest. Although, in if the cruise ship industry doesn't survive, yeah, yeah, well, let's not talk about that. I got a lot of friends who work in the cruise ship industry, my friend. <laughs> SpaceX right. will take up some of the slack, and we'll get some other launch providers in there soon enough. Yes, there will be more launch providers coming in there soon enough. It, 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 it's a booming time around here. It really is for the Space Coast. Speaking right. of other launch providers, Rocket Lab had an attempt this week. Now, they did unfortunately scrub. They had uh, strange data from an inclinometer. Um, and like they said, it's not used for flight, but they want to understand it. And so... They're taking their time. They have a nice big 10-day window. So we, uh, we'll wait and see when they actually are able to launch. But they were not able to launch this week like they had planned. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of sad. But once again, with Rocket Lab, they're doing the, the smaller rocket. Or it's a smaller rocket. It's smaller payloads. So they do have 
longer launch windows that they're able to to build those opportunities in. So something small like a, an inclinometer, they just want to understand why it was giving those issues because that's going to be something that's electrical down in, in the actual wiring because essentially what an inclinometer is, is a small, uh, it's curved about like that, small um, level with a bubble and it's actually going to be mercury on either side and then a bubble the same kind of thing that you would find in like a thermostat in an older house um and that bubble represents like a a, a gap in the uh, actual electrical wiring. So when the bubble goes one way or another, there's small wires in there to tell it exactly how tilted the rocket may be so that they can line it up correctly. That inclinometer issue, obviously the rocket was sitting upright, so that wasn't the issue. It Purely electrical, they'll get that worked out pretty easily. Yeah, yeah and it wasn't <clears throat> flight critical, like they were saying, so it's just, it's just about knowing. That's the only thing. It's a, it's about knowing because when you know, you know that it's not going to be an issue. But even if it doesn't look like an issue, if you don't know it's not an issue, it could still be an issue. It could it, also yeah. unveil issues in other parts of systems because theoretically it could be how the sensor was connected in some other way that could be connected to a lot more critical sensor potentially like that. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Data data is valuable. And so data is incredibly valuable. This data. And then making sure you have good data for the next test is uh, important. Excellent. Also, speaking about other launch providers, uh, we did see a Blue Origin New Shepard flight. Uh, don't uh, let's see. I don't have the actual date that that happened, but we did have a a full uh, New Shepard flight. They uh, had several uh, small. Uh, payloads on this flight that we're riding along with. It's uh, kind of a test flight, and they do want to ramp up into actually having their commercial passenger flights starting no earlier than April. That's kind of like where they're setting that date. Now, that date has moved back. They were planning on last year in April, and then COVID happened. So uh, we've we've kind of been sitting here waiting and, and, and really expecting something good to happen. I, I was... I knew this was going to happen last year and then it didn't happen because of the, you know, world events. So now we're sitting here like, Oh, okay. It's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. So we're just kind of sitting here waiting for it. And mm -hmm. it's going to be really fun to see uh, the, um, the new Glenn launch from Florida when uh, yep. the time comes, that's going to be an awesome uh, site to see. Now, now I, just, I want to point out this, uh, this drone shot in the webcast because it is just absolutely beautiful the way they have the drone and they fly up right past it. That mm -hmm. is some expert coordination between their teams to make sure you can do that safely. And we've seen great drone footage from other launch providers like SpaceX before. And I just, that just looks great. And I drones, point that out. Drone, drones is the way to go. And also, so this launch happened, or it says right here on the, on the screen on the 14th. Uh, and also like, like Jordan just talked about, <laughs> Inside the Shepard, inside the capsule was uh, Mannequin Skywalker. Now, we've seen this happen a few times. We've seen this happen with Riley, with SpaceX. We've seen this happen with Rosie, with with the uh, with the uh, Boeing capsule. Mm -hmm. um, 
And what it is is these they, they put these dummies inside there that are in, embedded with all kinds of sensors. And what it's doing is it's reading data that is getting, you know, what, what, what kind of pressure is being put on what would be a human, um, you know, and then they read that data and see where they need to fine tune to, to get it to where it is human rated so they can start launching people. Um, so that was a, a neat part about this launch as well. And this was also the uh, first launch with the newly redesigned interior that has the, yes. the the actual passenger upgrades installed because up until now they've been kind of like a blank interior. The windows were there and everything, but they've been launching it with the blank interior. Now they have all the passenger stuff there. They are getting ready to ramp up and, and, and start taking people. And it, it, it's an exciting time for people who have that kind of money, I guess. That's amazing. Uh, we didn't get any live views during the stream, but afterwards, they, of course, tweeted out this video from inside that capsule. You, you can see the mannequin right there. And uh, mannequin they, they were talking about how they uh, have the very slow spin so mm -hmm. that regardless of what window you're, you're at, you're able to see mm -hmm. at one point in every direction. And I mean, they're they're really planning to fly humans. And that's that's a big deal. Mm hmm. And it if really anybody is. watching, anybody watching has kids, you can go to Club of the Future, which is a program that is sponsored by Blue Origin, and you can actually send in a postcard, and they will fly the postcard in the capsule, and then once it comes back, uh, I think Jeff stamps a couple of them that it was certified that it was flown in space, and they'll actually send that back to you, so you can have your own flight proven postcard, basically. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's some pretty cool stuff. And all I need is a kid. <laughs> uh, no no it's a trap you don't want that <laughs> all right next up on our list here we had a uh, starship uh, static we fire we had uh artemis uh, before that we had oh uh, did, yeah we did we, we had two different events that happened this week uh kyle want to talk a little bit about this whole path to the pad event um yeah so basically they just took us on a tour of the vab they were um they had a booster segment out there for us to photograph and they weren't actually moving anything while we were there which is kind of disappointing but like it's still massive and really great to see everything that's going on in the VEB on as they're working towards their first Artemis launch. You can see the noble launcher. I've seen it outside when it's moving on the crawler way. It only makes the VAB seem bigger when you see it inside of the VAB. Yeah, because the VAB dwarfs it. And this, it's like of you, course... you realize how big it is having stood next to it. And then you go into the VAB and it's like, it's tiny inside the building, right? I mean, I've been on the, the sixth, first and 16th floor now. So yeah, that's a ginormous building. I've only ever seen it from the outside personally. Let me and this is, of nice course, one of our articles by Zach. And so be sure to check out our website. Uh, we try to put up articles for all the major events combining all the photos and everything. So go give this one a read. It's a good one. Absolutely. And so I'm loving, uh, I'm loving this stuff. It, it, it's good to see that our investment as Americans uh, is finally starting to come to fruition. This has been, you know, 
if you really want to think about it that way, this is going going all the way back to the early 2000s when the Constellation program was put into effect. This is essentially the same program, just rebranded. It uses the same uh, technique of, of, of reusing older hardware that they had laying around, the extra stuff from the space shuttles, and, 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 and using those things to actually make the program cheaper, but it didn't end up being cheaper uh, the way we thought it would. But it, it's a good thing. To have this, and even though there are better launchers in the world, we haven't seen this one operate yet. They're not launching um, commercial sets. This is not going to be launching commercial yeah. sets. This is solely for the purpose of exploring space, and uh, that is unique for this moon. rocket and going to the moon and going beyond the moon. That their their first mm-hmm. mission is going to go out beyond the moon. Well, and the first it, mission is the, the circle around the moon. Yeah, it's going to circle around the moon. Yeah, just like Apollo. Can you really put a price on going to the moon? I mean, you can't. Yeah, there's a price. Really (laughs) want to to delve into how much Apollo cost over the 15 years that it ran? Um, excellent. I'm I'm loving all these great pictures and Orion. So many great shots in here. It's it's hard to not just keep scrolling and looking through them because y'all y'all did a great job out there. It's the opposite of doom scrolling. We've invented hope scrolling. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, you got to see exit the building. So, all right. The, um, you know, little Orion was actually pretty funny because we, we first got into that building and we didn't have anywhere to go immediately. And that little Orion with the solar panels out was in the in the lobby. And we all just started immediately taking pictures of just the little Orion. We're going to see the real one, but let's take pictures of the little one, too. Yeah. Why not? You're there. Why not? Excellent. All right. What's next on our list here? We do have the Starship SN9 static fires. Yeah, that absolutely. Took place and they uh, are replacing two Raptors right now. <clears throat> so it'll be a bit till we see it fly. But they're trying to speed it up. So we did get a tweet from Elon. He was saying that he wants to get the time down to hours, not days. Let me pull that up. So he, he said uh, that two of the engines need slight repl- repairs and they'll be switched out and they need to get the time for an engine swap down to a few hours at most. And, so and that's definitely going to be something that they want. Once again, it's one of those things they're they're going to set their This is how fast we can do it. And then they're going to continuously make it go faster and faster and faster until they get it down to like a target time that they, that they want to be hitting. Um, that's especially important for what they can do with starship because starship is also capable of doing like suborbital flights all over the world and if they're going to be doing that and it's going to be used in that type of way they are going to need the ability to swap those engines out very quick because that's that's something that's going to get used up very quick one interesting thing is that is a faster engine swap than any car or any plane or any, it, it's probably the fastest engine swap in the world. And it's yeah. one of the most complicated engine swaps in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, it just goes to show how, how much they really need to, how, like how much they're innovating with the time and their development to really get it tuned down like this. If you can actually, if they're able to sw- go find an issue with an engine, swap it and then launch later that day. That'd be crazy. That's not something that 
is remotely in the realm of possibility for any other vehicle. Like they also have to do that in some ways because on rockets, the engine is a lot more of a wear item compared to say a car. The cars can go three hundred thousand miles, a million miles on the same engine. Well, I guess if you compare it directly (laughs) miles, the rocket can go farther. But if you compare time, it you yeah your your fire don't last forever. Yeah, you're only going to get, I think, right now with the Merlin Ds, they're looking at maybe 10 launches before they have to do a whole scale replacing parts and things like that. On the Raptors, I'm assuming they're going to have the same kind of thing where they need to swap them out every 10 or 20 launches, depending upon you know how robust the engines yeah. are and how much of that wear they're able to take. Yeah. Um, another note is swapping doesn't necessarily mean retirement. They could right. swap out everyone on there every 10 flights if mm-hmm. they can do it that fast. And then they'll refurbish them over a week. And then in another week, they'll swap those out with the ones they just put on it. And mm-hmm. this is a forever cycle of refurbishment, pretty much. Yeah. And 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 they the great thing is they're starting to ramp up that production. So they have lots of Starship parts just sitting there ready to be built. And, and that's kind of what we need is that they're working on this rocket while they're working on this rocket while they're working on this rocket. And they have several teams that are all working at the same time uh, at different stages, essentially. And when they get to the production cycle, it's going to pass between those teams. Oh, okay. We finished this part. We're going to send it to you and you're going to do this part. And it's just going to go down the line almost like a... Uh, I don't know, like the production process. Yeah, like a production line. As it happens, I believe that there were, I believe John Krause got some photos as the engines were being driven off and they were so telephoto that they were able to read the labels on some of the actual parts. And it was from, actually from a previous Raptor. I'm trying to Uh find those. I think that might've been Jack Byer. Was it? Because he, um... He did a panorama of it with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The super high res looking. So they were actually. Um, yeah, it, it was. They're already getting to uh, reusing parts from one engine to the next. That. And they are they're pretty far along their iterative process at that point if they're able to take parts off of one and put it onto another one and make it work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They're 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 working the process as it should be worked. I mean, swapping an engine doesn't mean you have to have a whole brand new engine, take the part out, fix it, and put it back into another one. Yeah, like so when you, you rebuild a car engine. Exactly. A very high resolution image of Oof. the engine. That Man, is that's... just so much beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm. A lot of craftsmanship. You can see a lot of craftsmanship, and that's so the the, QC nightmare. (laughs) That Raptor is serial number forty-four, but on I don't, I'm not very familiar with the specific parts, but on this section of tubing, that is marked SN thirty-four. So (laughs) that's the fact that they're going using different parts. Yeah. That's cost saving. That's time saving. Oh, yeah. Like cost saving, sa- time saving. That that's all right the there. things that SpaceX represents, really. Yep. And and it's good thing. I hate to sound like a SpaceX fanboy. I really try to be as objective as possible doing this job, but 
it, it's hard not to like everything that SpaceX is doing when it comes to launches and, and when it comes to the way they operate the business, because yep. I'm not seeing anything that I'm like, man, they should do that better. Maybe they shouldn't, uh, maybe Elon maybe shouldn't talk as much about the engineering side of things because yes, he's an engineer, but he doesn't have his hands touching everything at SpaceX. You know what I mean? He's, he, I don't know if he's in there turning wrenches. He might be. I heard he doesn't sleep very much and he has a bed at every factory. And that's and, and I heard he's he has there, a couch at every factory. I he haven't slept underneath his desk or on his desk before. So there's that too. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy's a workaholic. Uh, I don't know how he has time for kids and family and girlfriend and all that stuff. But and it, so, so Harry's saying he's heard that the nozzle number doesn't always match the engine itself. So it may be that the engine itself as a unit is referred to as is SN34. Yes. And I was actually kind of while you were mentioning, I was thinking the same thing because now I'm working in a production manufacturing area myself. When I'm building the stuff I build, uh, I have several parts and pieces that come with a serial number already on them. And then I actually put it into a computer database saying this serial number for this part went on to this serial number for the whole thing. So it might be something like that where the serial number for the engine is 44, but it's got a part 10,044 over here and a part 34 here and a part 10 over here, depending upon whatever the serial number is. And we, and we don't have an inside look at how SpaceX yeah. is naming it. And we actually uh, learned that somewhat recently with the boosters, because we've always been saying like B1051.3. Apparently internally SpaceX does a dash rather than a point. Yes. And so it's like, like our little minor things that we just don't don't know. And it's just gleaning information slowly. And so I, I only learned that a few weeks ago that they Elon start the sharing the inner workings. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all about the learning everything that we can learn about their process and about how uh, you know, if they come up with an, an issue midway through the line, how does that process work as compared to where like another manufacturing facility might work? I'd like to see where those differences lie because obviously they're doing something right and they have a lot of efficiency where some companies might not have as much efficiency. Maybe someone who who studies those things should do like a research study into how they run their manufacturing process as opposed to, you know, a Boeing or someone like that. That would be very interesting. Maybe I should do that. <laughs> All right. And then let's see. We had the SLS hot fire test, which was uh, yesterday. Yeah. So yes. that, man, yeah. it does not feel like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It, it feels, well, let's just say 2020 was the longest decade of our lives. So now time just feels like it's going super fast. <laughs> so they were planning to have a full duration, eight minute firing of all four engines and apparently I believe about four minutes was necessary to get like all the data. Like they were, they were going for at least four minutes, but they were targeting eight minutes basically. And they got so a minute. You, you can see the, <laughs> all the water. And I mean, it's amazing that uh, the igniters go off. The roof nice and it's a uh, it's beautiful watching all that and the amount of steam because 
like that's not smoke that's just steam from all the water being boiled off and actually it quite literally made it rain because mm-hmm. of all the water vapor um now if they would have went for the full eight minutes then it really would have rained they still got a rainbow they still got a real nice rainbow from this but if it would have went the full eight four, yeah, look at those beautiful engines it's like four uh, engines like shuttle days in in Yes, those are beautiful, and when they do launch this thing, those are going to be nice and bright because they are hydrogen oxygen. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be just as bright as, say, like the Delta Four Heavy. It's going to be um, loud. It's going to be super loud. Plus, it's going to have SRVs on both sides. Holy mackerel, this it's thing's going to be, be loud, and it's going to jump right off the pad, too. I can't yep. wait to see it launch. Playa no, Linda will be closed. <laughs> yes, Playa Linda will definitely be closed for the launch of this yeah, guy. Especially B. But <laughs> I want to go there. I would watch it from there. It that'd be now, I was so going to say now here, with the it starts to sh- okay. Uh, yeah, there's the shutdown starting. Yeah, it's that's where things sort of go odd, and now you can see they're they're shut down, and uh, it they didn't get uh, they didn't get their full duration. Uh, they had. Uh, like one minute and 21 seconds or some it was yes. not anywhere near it, the it was direction. not near their goal and they said there was uh a, what was it main component failure and so they weren't actually able to get to gimbling the engines right. which was very important because they i believe they operated at like 109 percent thrust and they were going to throttle down and gimbal them and they did not get to that portion and so uh, yeah, you can you can see the live chat started freaking out when they saw uh, it didn't get their full duration. Now, what this means long term, we haven't been given full info. The live stream, they seemed to go off a script as if everything went perfectly, saying that uh, they would patch up the outside and send it down here, but. It's very it's probably going to need is, another uh, test. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be a decent. <clears throat> they're they're, they're going to look into it, and I really hope it doesn't mean a a delay. I really want to get Artemis launching soon. <clears throat> Hopefully, they are this able NASA. to quickly. It will be I really want it to happen soon. I'm going to stay optimistic. We haven't been given solid. Uh, info as to whether or not it will be delayed or how much or anything they're looking through the data they were saying there are hundreds and hundreds of terabytes of data that they've been gathering uh for this Seventy thousand. to my understanding right that it the core stage has to get to kennedy by the end of february if they're going to launch this year Mm -hmm. yes yes Mm -hmm. Now, they they might be able to do – well, see, here's the thing. They don't have the kind of production line that like a SpaceX has where they have more of those engines just on standby ready to get swapped out. Right. Uh, they have plenty of engines. They got tons yeah, of them. Yeah, they still have to test but those engines I don't too, know though. how easy they are to swap. <laughs> Probably not as, as uh, speedy and efficient as – spacex yeah but they got, they got plenty of them because once they start stacking those srbs that the time starts the time yeah is the timer starts yep it's and already started, uh, I, believe. I was going to point out that if the if this thing shut down at 121 which it did uh the srbs would still be burning during an actual launch if it had shut down at that point um 
even with the escape system, we're, we're glad we saw this shut down on the ground. Number one, this is why we test. This is why everybody tests to make sure it's going to work in the actual situation. It, if this kind of thing had happened in flight, yes, there is an escape system during the SRB phase. I really don't know if it could make it and actually pull the, the, the actual Orion uh, capsule free. I just thought of something. Potentially, since it's safely shut down, they don't technically need to escape immediately. Theoretically, they could ride out the whole entire burn of the SRBs and then actually the escape tower. That's true. And I assume smart people work at NASA than me, so I assume they've thought about this. There might be an option. Uh, yeah, I, I would want to uh, look through the the, the actual like um, the fail mode and 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 see what that procedure looks like. Unfortunately, they don't process uh, the make those public. We might get no. that in like fifty years. One when of the, the become things with the uh, this causing a potential delay that would be a challenge is just last week we were talking about how they're stacking the solids, and mm -hmm. they they're on the clock now. Those can mm -hmm. go bad. They have a limited <laughs> lifespan, and so. If this is delayed too much, those SRBs are trash. Yeah. Um, we were talking, I was talking mm -hmm. to someone in, um, when we were up on the thir thir or 16th floor of the VAB, and it's because there's an expiration date on the solid fuel, pretty much, is what it is, comes down mm -hmm. to. Like, Absolutely. not it's the stacking itself, it's the solids themselves. It's the solid, once, once the actual, the, the fuel is exposed to oxygen, it only has the, yeah. that one, one year lifespan. Yeah, the one year, yep. best by date is a lot more strict when it comes to rockets than it does to the grocery store. Best yes. buy, best launch date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, use, use by, by date. The use by date. There you go. Launch before. Excellent. Well, it's is still a best buy date because there's there's a good chance they're still going to work after that date. But do we want to put people on them after that date? Probably not. Probably not. No, yeah. they, uh, NASA, especially as risk averse as they are, they are going to not do that. Yeah, yep. they need to. <laughs> they need to just take every precaution because, like, we we need this to be a perfect, safe program, and so yes, they need to take this time as awful as it is. And I, as much as I'm saying I don't want to delay, if it means better safety, take the delays. That's what has to happen. So. Excellent. All right. And then the uh, final thing on my list, or not the final thing, but one of the, the last things on my list here is the uh, CRS-21 return. The reason we are tired. The reason yeah, uh, they are all tired. I did not go to the port. But the reason, <laughs> the reason most of these guys are tired is uh, they were out at the port taking some pictures and, and getting us some good shots of the uh, Dragon return to port here in uh, Cape Canaveral. Uh, now, Dragon did land in the Gulf of Mexico off now, the coast of Tampa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. These notes make no sense to me, man. <laughs> to me, it's funny because, you know, SpaceX, they have seven recovery locations for the Dragon capsule. The primary locations, of course, all being on the Atlantic side is it's closer, easier to home. And we've all been looking forward to, you know, the Atlantic splashdown. We've got two now, both in like the farthest locations possible away. The hardest location is to get it back to home, both yeah. in the Gulf of Mexico, yeah. you know. So you and I know it, from experience how far Pensacola is. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. 
Yeah, so Kyle was out there. When it first splashed down, of course, they they brought the capsule onto Go Navigator. The helicopter landed on Go Navigator, and they took the most time-sensitive cargo, and they loaded it onto the helicopter, and they flew it. And so Kyle managed to get this photo in the very, very dark of the helicopter on its yeah, way to I, Kennedy. I didn't think it was going to go as fast as it was, so I kind of procrastinated to leave. So then I ended up getting there, like, it probably maybe less than five minutes before it got over there. And I was at Max Brewer. So I was expecting to get the climb to the top of the bridge, set up a tripod, be ready. It started coming. And I, I um, so I panicked, started setting up a tripod. And then I was like, it's coming too fast. I got to get the camera ready. So I freehanded it all. And now there was two frames like that one that actually were good enough to consider posting. The rest were literally a speck of light. Working with the dark. Yeah. Yeah, so man. We, we got out there pretty late kyle was on the beach and then joined us by the freddie patrick boat ramp goat navigator was coming in we thought it was going to be going into the navy side like we, th- we thought it was going into the military port and then it nope. kept on going <laughs> and... we're just sitting here and we're just like what what's going on what wait why is it not where is it it's, going it, it's going why is it it's not stopping what's going on what's going on yeah it ended up going into the middle trident basin instead and the we uh didn't, their we didn't know that the whole time you missed your turn so, yeah, so we're we're all freaking out we're like uh why is it not stopping <laughs> now it did have the lights on which was very nice and the dragon was uncovered and by not going into the military base we got a much better view of dragon so yes we did it came right by us it was pretty nice, and then it kept on going, so we were like, all right, we're driving farther down the port. And so we all rushed down there, not knowing where it's going, and then we we shouldn't have gone farther down the port because it turned well, off. Well, to be fair, there's, like, nowhere great for the, there's nowhere great for the middle basin anyway, so like, yeah. the, like our best bet where was, was where we ended up going, pretty much, yeah. because, yeah. And so, so you guys were out there really late. Like what time did it finally end up coming in? 3.30 I think or so. Three, yeah, like, yeah, 3.30 is the time stamp in my photos. I think 3.37 was the last one at the boat ramp before we left. And I think I got home at about 5 a.m. Were you guys like the only people out there for that too? Yes. yes. Yeah. It was It was amazing. It was completely the empty. Derek. There was a police <laughs> officer who parked in the parking lot for a little bit. Yeah. But uh, It was cold. It was very cold. It was just it there was to very, keep you guys safe. Very cold. And so well, you can yeah, see it Florida way back there. It just turns into the middle base in there. Yep. That is awesome. I love going out there, but not at 3.30 in the morning. I'm not. Yeah, it was cold. <laughs> yeah, but it we got the nice, the nice scorch marks. They had the bright lights going. Like You can see they only covered the uh, what they had to. We, we got some nice viewing. We can see the NASA logo there. Like can't complain about the views not at all that's just, awesome it's always hard to get captures in the dark the entire coverage of <laughs> the return it it was us and jenny out there so awesome you guys you guys are killing the it out there at the port dedicated killing it out there at the port it, i'm telling you it was cold <laughs> dedication your frostbite you know <laughs> all right and then we had a virgin orbit flight yeah uh, who's got the talking points on that yeah so that this was actually today we were getting live tweets from virgin we didn't get live streams or anything like that but 
it, this is a big one. This is really, really important because they reached orbit. So yep. we, of course, got the info uh, right when they were starting. Like, they're, they're always good at live tweeting. They gave the timeline. And th that timeline actually gave people a little bit of worries when uh, points were passed without notifications. It's just, no, they just didn't tweet about it yet. They were waiting on comms. So we got it's it was deployed ignited we've seen they've they've been trying to get proper uh they've been trying to get a proper launch and orbit from launcher one for a while and so it's really good to finally see this going it deployed eight different cubesats into orbit so yep. they're and we did have coverage for this lined up. Uh, one of our other guys on the team, Justin, he had all plans on being out there to cover it. Uh, and unfortunately, he did end up hurting himself on the, you know, running. He rolled his ankle, uh, so he was not able to be out there to provide the coverage for us. So uh, we preferred that he obviously stay home and get better. Absolutely. So this but hey, is... this 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 is just it's another way to get things to 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 orbit. This is companies coming up with different options hey we see that they can launch missiles from planes can we launch a rocket from a plane yes yes we can yeah <laughs> having another commercial launch provider oh. is such a big deal and on the sub on the subject of launching rockets from planes they've done this a lot of times actually before but just not virgin orbit yeah, pegasus. yeah just not Vir virgin Orbit. pegasus was launched from planes absolutely which pegasus also had a lot of issues Yes, it did. I think the last Pegasus missile to or to launch, I think it was technically still one left, but the last one to launch, I think it was launched. It launched finally like two years or so after it was initially slated to launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The uh, vertical launch systems are are um, you overcome a lot of the, the the gravity differential, so it doesn't require as much fuel, but you pay with instability issues of actually igniting the engines while in the sky. There's instability issues that, that happen there. There's a, a, a lot more technical issues uh, with the vertical launch as opposed to uh, your standard horizontal launch like well, we normally see. Pegasus issues are mostly electronical and control systems, not actually. But you do need a lot more control systems for that because it needs to free fall for a little bit and control stuff plane like for like at least 10 seconds before it has to yeah it has, it has to, to control be it clear and... the plane yeah yeah so, so its control surfaces have to be more active than normal rockets it can't, it can't just use gimbling like a lot of rockets do no it has to have those the the actual fins on the outside have to be able yeah. to it allow it to glide a little bit before it actually ignites so yeah, so but it, it's was... good to see the the virgins getting there, and, and finally able to to do this. This is like their second attempt, third attempt. Uh, it's good to see they got there. Um, virgins also going to be uh, starting up their commercial passenger service. I believe I read somewhere Richard Branson said uh, that he's planning his flight for say June. It might have even been earlier, but I know his uh, mother just passed away, so we our our hearts go out to Mr. Branson. Um, and uh you know keep your keep your spirits up sir we got a video 25 minutes ago from them of oh nice and ignition nice timing <laughs> this is my first time seeing it right now sam so, that makes two of us yes yeah, so thank Three. you for pointing that out harry 
Look at it go. Look at that. That's got to be something really cool to do as a pilot, too. Like, that's not something you do every day. Definitely not. Especially yeah, not from, like, a 747. <laughs> I wonder if they have, if the pilot is, if, like, a pilot is, that's their only job, or if they just have, like, a random, like, other pilot that does other work that just randomly comes in for it. I'm not sure. Because, like, I, I would expect they've had plenty of specific training. Yeah. To, for yeah, like, that. So they might have taken like a I'm I'm very sorry I'm not more familiar with it but they uh they probably took a commercial pilot or uh someone with that level of experience and then gave them a great deal of work specifically with the maneuvers necessary for there's launching. I actually, I don't think it would be that that complicated to yeah. find someone who's who's used to this kind of thing. Even though, yeah, it's from a 747. It's a commercial plane launching a rocket, essentially. But most, well, not most, but a vast majority of pilots are previously military trained pilots so if they hired someone who had a lot of experience with say fighter planes they launch missiles like that regularly from fighter planes even just for practice because with the government if you don't spend the money you're not getting it next year so in like september especially if you live to near an air force base you're going to hear a lot of flights happening because they're trying to burn off the fuel that they received for the year so they get more next year Yes. So, so Michael saying they confirmed nine small sats for NASA were con were mm -hmm. deployed. I think I said eight earlier. I'm sorry about that. And he also pointed out uh, the 737 is designed with the ability to carry a spare engine on the left side of the plane, and mm -hmm. so that's where they actually that weight differential. The yeah, the the weight differential will be on the left hand side because it's designed to hold that extra weight. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. What else do we have on our list here? All right. The last one is actually me and this, uh, the NASA released this on Monday, but, um, it's more of a policy thing, sort of, but it's also has to do with uh, existing missions. So uh, NASA actually a work uh, released information on Monday that they will be extending both the Ju Juno mission to Jupiter and the Mars InSight mission. Um, now, the Mars InSight mission is going to be extended by two years, and that's going to be collect further seismic data uh, from the Martian surface as well as weather data. Um, and then the Juno mission extension which will be for four years will actually allow that mission to uh, do flybys of four Jovian moons that uh, haven't been flown by in 20 years and that's going to include Europa and that's what's super exciting for me because Europa is one of those spots in the solar system that we know has liquid water and uh, Every indication we know is that life requires liquid water to exist. So we really want to get there. And there's Europa Clippers going to be coming up in the next decade. So that's going to be fun to watch. And this is just kind of like a precursor for that. And we're going to get some excellent views and some good scientific data specifically about Europa and Io. All right. Um, so now next week. That's most of the news for this week. It, it was surprisingly busy despite no launches from the Cape. It was there was a lot happening. Absolutely. So next week we do have a Starlink launch that, that our week starts tomorrow. Starlink eight forty five tomorrow is what I have written down here, and I yep, believe that's thirty nine A. Another Starlink. Uh, we we know the drill at this point. It's a it's a Falcon nine. 
It'll be launching. Nine. It, it, it makes it pretty satellites. They're going into low Earth orbit. Uh. It's a cut and paste article. We got that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then we have uh, Thursday, we have the Transporter 1 mission is scheduled from Slick 40. And we'll be landing on Just Read the Instructions. Yeah. Um, and uh, Transporter 1 is um, kind of a fun thing that, that SpaceX is doing is that they are – making available all this space that they normally would fill with Starlink satellites or ginormous uh, uh, communication satellites. And they're filling it with smaller CubeSats type satellites. And it's essentially spreading that cost amongst all the people. They get a very cheap flight uh, flight to space and they're going to put two Starlinks up with it anyway, because they had a couple of satellites that didn't make it. So they filled that space yeah, in with Starlink. Like Ninety-three satellites going up. Yeah, it's it's a lot of satellites. <laughs> it's that's it's an it's a, for science, especially for Earth science. This is going to be a very uh, important mission, just because a lot of the Earth science that's being done now is being done by colleges and and smaller organizations that might not necessarily be able to put like a goes satellite into orbit but they can put a small sat and they can do their research using a small sat and it's just more cost efficient and colleges and other smaller research programs can definitely get in on on space research and uh, spacex allows that to happen the shuttle allowed that to happen so it's just it's a great thing that we can have a mission like transporter one coming up and and have cheap flights for lots of people at one time yeah, and uh, it's going south, so that'll be an, another, not brand new, but uh, they SpaceX has done one launch south, and it, now they're going south and landing on the yep. drone ship down there. Tomorrow's mm-hmm. launch, uh, the Starlink, that is the eighth first reuse. We did kind of brush over it being a Starlink. That's we did. It, it's fast turnaround. It's the there. It's a record turnaround time, and it's an eighth reuse. So this is. It actually is really important. And also, Michael pointed out something we did miss. Uh, so NASA did announce this week that they are ending their efforts to bury uh, probe. Let me pull this up. We... Well, that's what, he, that's what Jordan was talking about, the, the mole. They're, they're not doing the mole anymore. The mole has ended, but so, they're going to extend the mission two years yeah. with the insight. Yeah, so and that comes was... down to cost because both Insight and Juno were like billion dollar missions. Um, so being able to extend that mission just means that that's more money not having to be spent to send the same equipment up and take the same kind of readings. If if the equipment's there and it's still working, you might as well keep using it and keep pulling that data because it's much cheaper to run a mission that's already started than to start a brand new one. Yes, yeah, so they've been trying to to bury the probe, and they just yep. it's a different soil than they were used to and expecting. Expecting, so. yeah, it was much more dense than they were expecting, so the probe didn't actually go but a few inches into the soil. They were expecting uh, like meters and got inches, and it was it, it was not the best thing to happen. But insight still getting lots but of. They're good learning. Data. They're extending, like like they said, they're burying the seismometer cable to continue getting that data so yeah absolutely all right and what else do we have on our list here 
I believe we are at the point of the week where we share our favorite pictures. Zach, do you got a history lesson? I do have some history. Oh, well, then we'll go with the history lesson. Let's do it. All right. So this week in history, um, <clears throat> I'm just going to go ahead and get this one out of the way. Um, it's, you know, probably seen some stuff on social media. Uh, January 16th, yesterday. Seven, um, which was, of course, the last flight of Columbia, the 28th and final flight. Um, uh, I just learned, actually, it was also the 113th launch of the space shuttle. I'm a superstitious person, so to me, I'm like, oh, no. But uh, I'll cover more of that when the end of the mission happens in two weeks. I'll go into a little bit more detail, but it actually launched yesterday in 2003. Um, <clears throat> now, just stay with me. We're going to go way, way back. I just found this really interesting. Um, today, in 1886, a gentleman named Glenn L. Martin was born. Um, Glenn L. Martin, like I said, stay with me. It comes around. Uh, he was a pretty smart, talented man. By the time he was 10 years old, he was making and selling his own box kites, right? So in 1896, he was selling box kites to the world. In 1909, at 23 years old, this guy flew his first biplane that he built himself. Um, he rented out an old church uh, that was abandoned, and he found the owner. He rented out. He built his own biplane in it, started flying around, started a company, the Glenn L. Martin uh, Airplane Company, started selling airplanes. He, uh, by the time World War II came around, he was the U.S. military's number one air airplane manufacturer. Um, his most famous plane, the B-26, the Marauder, uh, they called them flak bait back then because they picked up so much flak over enemy territory. Um, he, uh, he died in 1961, or well, in 1961, uh, six years after he died, the company merged with American Marietta. Um, I'm not too sure what they did, but in 1995, the company merged again and gave us what we know today as the Lockheed Martin Corporation. So that's a little bit about the founder. You guys know Lockheed Martin is huge in the aerospace industry. Um, real interesting stuff I found. <clears throat> now we'll go further in time, but yesterday, January 16th, 1969, Soyuz 5 docked with Soyuz 4 in low Earth orbit. This was the very first time two manned space capsules or spacecrafts, whatever you want to call it, docked together and they changed crew. Um, Literally the first time uh, in the actually, to my understanding, it's the last time that a. Uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, hold on. What did I write? Uh oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so it's the old I guess it's just as simple as that. It's the only time a crew transfer ever took place using a spacewalk. They literally climbed out of one capsule and <laughs> switched capsules. Um, wow. but, but that was pretty crazy. Uh, so I would, yes. Now, uh, also today in 1985, um, the United States launched its 1037th in the final Aerobe rocket, a sounding rocket. Um, sounding rockets are, if you guys don't know, they're tiny rockets. They're not like, you know, Falcon nines, even they're about 30 feet long. Most of them 150 pounds. Um, the Aerobe rocket was America's most used sounding rocket. They uh, could fly to an altitude of 170 miles. And they basically like 
small sets, cube sets is what they did. A lot of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, stuff, suborbital stuff, measurements, uh, temperature, pressure, radiation, ozone, you know, a lot of just scientific data research. Um, it was cool last year. Uh, actually, it was January last year. I got to tour NASA's sounding rocket facility in Wallops. Um, Wallops, Virginia is a NASA has a facility. And um, it was pretty much it was interesting because it's like a rocket factory, but it's just like a little bit larger than my school sh like workshop. And, uh, you know, it's like the tubes, you know, they're just a few inches in diameter and they're all laid out, you know, but it was their their program is up there. I found that pretty cool. And uh, 2006, January 19th, the New Horizon mission launch. Um, it was sent up on an Atlas V in the 551 configuration, and it was the very last robotic mission to an unexplored planet. It took a few years, but July 14, 2015, uh, New Horizons flew by Pluto. Um, it studied its moons in the Cooper the belt all around Pluto. Um, so that was the last time, well, the first time we got to the last unexplored planet. I feel like we've been doing this for so long um, that I had no idea that it was just a short time ago, really, that like we got to Pluto, you know, so I found that pretty interesting. And then uh, my final thing for the week, January 22nd, 1968, NASA launched Apollo 5 on a Saturn 1B rocket. Um, this was the uh, first uh, orbital test of the lunar module ascent and descent propulsion systems. It was unmanned, of course. Um, but it, you know, paved the way to the Apollo missions, send them into the moon. Ooh. Yeah. Now we look real ancient history to uh, a year ago Tuesday. That was in-flight <laughs> abort. That was my very first rocket launch I saw. So that's actually pretty cool. Thank you for pointing that out, Michael. Everybody right. got clouded well, out. That's, that's next Tuesday, though. So it's moving to be in next episode. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Talk about it again, I guess. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I think we have uh, gone through everything we intended to go through today. I did want to go out, uh, go ahead and um, once again, give our just everlasting thanks to Jameson Boyce, the gentleman who wrote uh, our uh, theme song. Uh, he went out of his way and did that for us. And, and um, he's an amazing musician. He ran off and joined the circus. And then when the circus was canceled, he came back and he's been working for uh, a few different um, arts organizations around Orlando. So I was able to, to uh, get him to uh, write us some music. So he did a bang up job. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, if does anybody have anything else to add? No? Okay. And then in that case, it sounds like a show to me. Uh, Derek, can you play us out? You guys uh, have, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. Stay spacey.